0: You know, I teach school as my day job. We're getting to have a lot more intimate relationship with technology these days. I'm not impressed. It's great when it works, though. Okay. Well, if you will turn with me to Hebrews, I want to kind of give you a backstory. I had one day last week, I had three different young men text me or send me a message all over the same thing. And um, basically it was this, it was, you know, in Hebrews when it's, it talks about not laying again a foundation of dead works and repentance and, and faith towards God, you know, what's that talking about? Why do we not want to lay this foundation again? What does that mean? And so uh, I thought, well, i Probably better address that then. And So what we're going to do today is address that very thing. And there's another reason that I want to um, address this with you. So kind of by way of introduction, I want to show you a couple of surveys that I've read over the last couple of weeks that have shocked me and concerned me and reiterated to me that we must do a better job of preaching the foundations of the faith, the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, sometimes in Reformed land, if you will, we like to get into whatever is the most obtuse, you know, out there, deep. It sounds really erudite, so we want to get at it and prove we have all that theological studying and training. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but the foundations are what you need, and you must do them well. Um, and that, by the way, that goes for every facet of life. I mean, I actually had someone ask me that about MMA, of all things, this, this last week. What do you think makes a really good judoka? What do you think makes a really good jiu-jitsu practitioner? What do what you think makes, and I said, doing the foundation, the fundamentals very well? And Ronda Rousey, how many people did Ronda Rousey beat with an armbar? And they knew it was coming. It was the foundations very well. It was the same thing with our Christian walk. Okay. A solid Christian is someone who has a very good grasp on the foundations of their faith. If you have a good grasp on the foundations of your faith, you will not make poor exacerbations. You won't make poor extrapolations in other areas of theology. And in fact, the vast majority of the time when you see someone who is literally part of their, and by the way, this is very common in America, part of their theology is literally heretical. It's not because they've got this little part over here That's not all worked out. It's because they don't have a grasp on the foundations, the very fundamentals of the faith. If they have a grasp on the foundations, they'll get the rest right just by nature of the virtue of the argument. Does that make sense? Let me give you the first one by way of introduction. Here's the first one I read this week. Over half of U.S. Christians believe good works will get them into heaven. Study shows. This is in the Christian Post. I want to read some of this to you. I've got it right here with me. Less than half of U.S. Christians expect to experience eternal salvation because of their confession of sin and acceptance of Christ as their Savior. Less than half. More than half believe they will find justification through works. Let me explain that. Justification is just a big word that means how are you made right with God? You have done bad things. It's not hard for me to tell you you're a sinner. I don't have to wonder about the Like, man, I wonder if you've ever sinned. Is obviously you have. By the way, Christianity is not the only religion that posits humans are sinful people. Almost every other religion on earth posits the same thing. They just don't scream it quite so loudly. All religions on earth are bound in two categories. There are only two. There are self-righteous and there are imputed righteous. There are those... Religions that say the way that you're justified or made right with God is you do enough good works. And if your are good outweighs your bad, you're going to heaven. Or you're going to nirvana. Or you're, you're accepted into the glorious, wonderful afterlife. You're, you're it, ending up in Valhalla. You can lump every single world religion in one category other than Christianity. And that is they are self-righteous. If you believe that you're a good person and everything's going to be okay with God one day because you do good things and you're a good person, you are self-righteous. It's funny because most of the time when we hear that word, we hear it being used as a pejorative term. It's a a cut down reserved for Christians who want to live a sanctified life. No, I'm not going to do that because I don't believe that's right. You're so self-righteous. No, that's not what self-righteous means. Self-righteous means you think that you have the power within yourself to justify yourself. You think you are a good person. You think your good works will merit you something. That is literally self-righteousness. It's incredible because you can have someone who's totally antinomian. that's That's a big word. I shouldn't use that. Antinomian means without law. Hey, I, I do whatever I want to do. Don't tell me. Don't tell me how to live. I'm going to live any way I want to. That's antinomian. And yet, that same person, has very low moral standards for themselves, can be very self-righteous. You shouldn't do that. Who are you to talk to me like that? Who are you to tell me that? I'm, I'm a good person. Who are you to judge me? You are self-righteous. Okay. Here's what it says. The American Worldview Inventory 2020 survey conducted by Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Hey, Arizona Christian University, look at that. Poor Cammie. Cammie's here today. She's one of my former students. She had to put up with me. Poor girl. Truly, you can almost feel bad for anybody in here that's had to have me as a teacher. But from Arizona, Arizona Christian University found that a majority of people who describe themselves as Christian, more than 52%, accepted a works-oriented means... To God's acceptance. You know what that tells me? Those 52% either don't understand their faith or they're not Christians to start with. If you think your moral code is what's going to merit you entrance into heaven, you're in real trouble. Because you are a sinner, whether you want to admit it or not. I don't have to see you sin, I know you have. Why? Uh, because the Word of God tells me that it is ubiquitous to all men. It is, another, I shouldn't use that. It is, it is common to all people. There, there's not one person out there that has not sinned. There's no one out there that does not have a sin nature. And by the way, if you don't think that, become a parent. Okay, I've got four children. The oldest one just turned six a few days ago. You take those four, you sit them in the middle of a room, take every toy out of the room. Put one toy right in the middle of them, or iPad, or whatever you want to put in there. See what happens. You think they're going to sit around and go, no, you, go ahead, please. You first. Let me know when you're done. I'll take my turn next. No. What's going to happen? World War III toddler style, right? It's mine! Seen that? Have you ever done that? Hey, I got news for you. Adults do that. They just do it in a little more sophisticated manner. They grab and grasp for their own as well. He goes on to say this, In contrast, only a minority of adults, 46%, describe themselves as Christians, expect to experience eternal salvation because of their confession of sin and acceptance of Christ as their Savior. The study also found, quote, huge proportions of people associated with Christian churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Jesus Christ as Savior. In other words, the official doctrine of the church is good. But these people said that they, quote, believe a person can qualify themselves for heaven by being a good person or by doing good works. That should startle us. Because that means there's a lot of people in our churches who even though the official position of the church is Jesus Christ is the only way, somehow these people have gotten the idea that the way that I go into heaven, the way that I get to heaven, the way that I am justified with God is I do good things. That tells me there's a breakdown in the discipleship process. Would you like to know who one of those people was? Me. I was raised in a little Methodist church. Middle of a tiny, tiny town out in western Kansas. I say that I was a church druggie, and what I mean by that is my mom drugged me to church every time the doors were open. Okay, I was drugged to church, not drugged in church. Drugged, I was a church druggie. I was there every time the doors were open, and somehow I still believed that as well. At 18 or 19 years old, I guess I would have been 19 by this time, I can remember knowing I was on a path that was leading to destruction. I knew that. I gotta, and here's my thought. I gotta get my life together. Man, if I could just do enough good things, then I would be a Christian. That was my thinking. You know what? I got I gotta get my life together. I gotta start doing some good. I gotta stop doing all this bad stuff that I'm, I gotta start doing this good stuff over here. I got these friends. They're Christians. They do these good things. They're so nice and they're so helpful and I'm not. If I could just be more like them, then I could be a Christian. That was my thought. I didn't understand the gospel. The Bible says you must repent of your righteousnesses. What? How does that work? The Bible says that all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah says that. I have bad news for you. That word, filthy rags, means menstrual napkins. The good things you do are absolutely despicable, not worthy of being touched. Why? Before you came to Christ, you haven't actually done good things. Why? The things you do are still tainted with your sin nature. I did a lot of really nice things for people before I was saved, so that I could get something out of it. Okay. I hope this doesn't come out too crudely, but there were some girls I was really nice to. Got them flowers i on dates, bottom stuff. I was real nice to him. You know why? There was something I was wanting to get out of him. All my righteousnesses were filthy rags. I've got news for you. So are yours. You're not going to be justified in God's sight because hey, look at that nice stuff that I, I went down there. I worked and I, I fed some people that were that were hungry. I, I I donated to the the homeless shelter. Well, that doesn't take care of your sin. That doesn't make you not guilty. Imagine if I were a murderer. Noah, you're getting murdered today. I'm sorry. Imagine that Noah and I, you know, we're, we're, uh, he's out at my house. We're just chilling. And I make him one of my famous bologna sandwiches. That's right. My children think that I am a gourmet chef. Because one night I made them the best meal they've ever had. That's what one of them told me. And I should teach mom to cook like this. <laughs> Okay. What did they have? They had bologna, cheese, and mayonnaise on white bread. Is there any nutrient in that at all? I don't even know. It's like, if there's a vitamin in there, he's alone, okay? Like, where's my friends? I'm all alone. And then I gave him bags of chips, right? Now, like, hey, this is so good, Dad. You are, you are a good cook. You gotta teach mom to cook like this. Nonetheless, let's say that I make my famous bologna sandwiches for Noah. And Noah's like, these are terrible. And I'm like, oh, is that right? (laughs) Kill him. I am a murderer. That's a pretty poor reason to shoot somebody, right? I'm hoping you'll take... Let's say that there's video of this. I mean, I am caught dead to rights. Everyone knows I am a murderer. And they're going to look for me. And instead of me owning up to that... You know what I do? You, you just don't understand. Like, I know I did that. I know that's not, it's not good. But I'm really a good person. You just don't know the real me. You caught me at my bad time. And nobody's nobody's perfect. You just don't know the real me. I, I am acting like a real sinner. You know, that's a true sinner. I'm not going to own up to it. No, no, no. You don't understand. I've done good things. Let's say for the next ten years I run from the law. But in the meantime, I'm doing lots of good stuff. Man, I'm donating to all these charities. I'm working down at the soup kitchens. Right? I'm doing all these good things. And one day, the authorities finally catch me. They show up on the door. Mr. Wilson, you're under arrest for the murder of Noah Johnson. What would I say? Now, here's what most of us want to do when the Holy Spirit does that to us. But you don't understand, I'm a good person. Look at all those good things I did. I mean, I know I murdered Noah, that's not good, but look at all the people I didn't murder. I even saved people from dying. I I, I fed them when they were hungry. They would have died without me. Yeah, we're not here to arrest you for that. But all of those good things you did don't take away the bad stuff you did. See, the problem is those things are on two separate dockets. You can't make up for your bad works with good ones. Your good works don't make the bad ones go away. You still have a ticket. In fact, you thinking that you can somehow make up for those good works or those bad works by doing good ones just shows how blind you really are and adds to the list. Imagine Noah's parents coming up to me and saying, Did you murder our son? And I go, Listen, let me make you some of my famous sandwiches. Excuse me? How offensive would that be? You think I'm going to be okay with you shooting my son because you made me lunch? You're playing that same game of roulette with God. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. Excuse me? You're not good in any sense of the word. You're selfish. You look out for you. You may pretend that you're not, but you are. How do I know that? Because you're human. You are a son of Adam or a daughter of Adam. You have his nature. And what's his nature? Looking out for me. Make it easy on me. I will seek comfort rather than I will seek what's right. I will seek what's easy rather than seeking what's right. A whole lot easier for me just not to say anything. Let's just pretend. You have that in you, too. Lynn Munsell, President of Arizona Christian University, goes on to say, quote, "The lack of understanding of basic Christian theology is absolutely stunning. It has potentially devastating consequences for individual souls and really, for all aspects of American life and culture," end quote." No doubt about it. He goes on to say it's a wake-up call for the church and for leaders in all areas of influence to speak, teach, and work to restore biblical truth. Munsell said many souls will be lost if people are misled by the false notion that we can somehow earn our way to heaven. Let me tell you something today. That false notion is what every soul that is going to destruction is going under the pretense of. Every religion other than Christianity, posits that your good works can wash away your bad. That is absolutely nonsense. What's crazy is, we think, in terms of the real world, we know that's foolishness. We know it's foolhardy. If somebody's a murderer or a rapist, and they go, hey, look at all the nice things I've done over here. We know that doesn't take away their sin. We know that doesn't justify them. And yet, when it comes to, in our minds, the spiritual world, because in our minds, we... we we make this huge divide. This, you know, the secular is here, the spiritual is here, like reality is here, and spiritual is over here, which is nonsense. And that's, but I'm not going to get into all that today. I'm not going to get into pietism today. But we know better than that, and yet we we choose the lie. We're not justified by our good works. Wait, wait, now hold on, hold on there, Wilson. Are you saying good works don't have any place in Christianity? No, of course they do. Works have a place in Christianity, but they're as sanctifying. They're not as justifying. You will not be made right with God by your good works. Instead, after you are made right with God, you will do good works. Understand? They are proof you have been saved. They are not what will save you. Your works will never save you. Ever. If you continue on this path thinking that if you do good things, you'll be okay with God, you will one day stand in front of Him, and you will be cast into outer darkness, you'll be cast into eternal torment, period. You can sit there and tell me you don't believe that. Fine, I know better. I was agnostic. I know better. You know in your heart it's true, you don't want it to be true, and so you try to lie to yourself, but it is true. Every soul that lives today, every soul that has ever lived, We'll spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And I'm not a bigot for saying that. I'm a realist for saying that. I'd be a liar if I said something different. If I stood up here and told you something different so that you would like me, I'd be a liar. Here's another one that a Lifeway Research was so bamboozled by that they did their own. And they found out... In fact, I'll just put it up here and show it to you. They found out, yes, Americans believe in heaven, hell, and a little bit of heresy. Not just a little bit of heresy, by the way. A lot of heresy. They believe in heaven and hell, and a lot of them believe they can, they can work themselves into heaven. There's actually about a dozen different heresies that we found, this, this study found, were common in Americans. by way, American Christians, by the way. We're not going to get into all of those. But one of them was this. That if you do good, if you work and you're a good person, you're going to heaven. I heard that a lot as a kid because the little Methodist church I grew up in had no idea what the gospel was. And I grew up on a hardworking farm where basically the message was, if you're a hardworking guy and you're good to your neighbors, you're going to heaven. And most of us here in middle America have heard a message very much like that. And I'm here to tell you, that's not just wrong. That is heretical and it will send you to hell. If you believe you can work your way into heaven, you are vastly mistaken. Because all of those good works cannot erase the bad. They're on a different docket. There is no interplay in between them. The problem is you need someone to take care of the bad. Okay? There's a better way to explain this, but I'm not going to get into it at the time. Okay? This is the easier way. You must have someone take care of these sinful, bad, wicked, evil things you have done. And the Bible says this. I was so glad Justin said this this morning. It was a perfect segue. I was like, my man. There is no remission of sin without what? The shedding of blood. Specifically the lifeblood. There's no remission of sin without death. Why? Because God is perfectly just. God is the one who can sit up in heaven and say, "This is actually what that deserves. We can't do that very well. You know why? Why are we not good judges of what's just and unjust? Are we biased a little bit? Have you ever met a liar? I mean someone that habitually lies over and over and over? Oh, I sure have. You know what they think? Lying's not that big a deal. Well, you know, it's just a little white lie. Why would they think that? Because they're a liar. I've been in a prison ministry, talked to a guy who was a murderer. And you're not supposed to ask people what they're in for. I, that was dumb. I, I should never have done that. But I just had to ask. I'm like, this guy's a really nice guy. Like, what are you in here for? I'll murder one. What? Like, you, you murdered a guy? He's like, yeah, but he deserved it. Oh, okay. I never killed anybody. I, I only killed bad people. Okay. See, to a murderer, murder's not that big a deal. So if you're going to really get what's true, what's right, what's just, you have to talk to someone who's perfectly sinless. They're the only one that can look at all sin and say this is what it actually this is how it actually should be punished. And I've got news for you there's not been a human on earth save one that's ever been that way. Only Christ was sinless. Only God is without fault or sin. Only God can say this is what that sin really deserves. And you know what God, who is perfect and right and just, says all sin really deserves? Death. Romans tells us deserves death. Friends, there are only two kinds of religion on this earth. I like the way that John MacArthur put it. He's exactly right. There are basically two kinds of religion. Those based on human achievement and those based on divine achievement. One says you can earn your way to heaven. The other says you must trust in Christ alone. I've got news for you. You cannot earn your way to heaven because no matter how good you do, no matter how much good works you perform, those good works do not make your bad ones go away. The stain on your record remains. And that stain on your record every day is crying out for eternal justice. This deserves my life's blood. It's crying out to a holy God. These sins that I have done deserve my life's blood. I deserve to die. One day you will. Then what? Get into Hebrews. Let's start at five five. I really want to it's six, one through three that I want to get to, but I've got to kind of pick up the back story so you can catch this, okay? So also five five, Hebrews, five five is where we' are starting. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, "You are my son, today I've begotten you." As he also says in another place, you're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. He became the author of eternal salvation. To all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. And that hits you in the face, doesn't it? It's hard to explain this to you because you've become dull of hearing. I don't want to hear it. I've heard that nonsense since I was a kid. No, you haven't. problem is you have heard nonsense since you were a kid. And you need to hear the gospel, the truth. You've become dull of hearing. Listen, give me 20 minutes. Don't become dull of hearing today. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles. That means the foundation. You should by now. You've heard this so much. You've been around this so long. You should be a teacher, but you can't be. Because you don't understand the very foundational thing. You need someone to explain it again. Guess what we're doing today? We're explaining that. You need someone to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. The very foundational thing. You've come to need milk, not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're a babe or child. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or Uh, I think the ESV says those who are mature. I think that's a very good way to put it. How do they become mature? Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. How do you become mature? Lots of experience. Discerning between good and evil. Hmm. It's as if people who have really walked with the Lord a long time might have a lot of wisdom and we should listen to them. Now we know better. I'm young, they're old. Stupid them. Okay, Boomer. Don't tell me that. I know better. Okay. Maybe you aren't as discerning. Maybe you don't have as much experience discerning between what really is good and evil. Maybe there is something That your pastors or your elders could add to you. Just throw it out there. Maybe. Maybe there is something you should listen to your parents for. That's sarcastic, isn't it? I was there once, too. (laughs) I like to say it's incredible how much my parents learned between the time I was 20 and 25. When I was 20, I was sure they were idiots. When I was 25, I was like, how did they get so smart? Yeah. Therefore leaving the discussion Here's where it gets to six one. Therefore leaving the discussion Of the elementary principles of Christ Let us go on to perfection Let's go on to maturity Not laying again a foundation of what? Repentance from dead works And faith toward God That's the foundation of the Christian faith According to Hebrews This is the foundation Repentance of dead works Did you catch that? You're not just repenting for the bad things you did. You're repenting for thinking that your good things could somehow wash those away. You're repenting of, quote, dead works. You were trying to work your way into heaven. I'm going to show how good a person I am, which is also why, typically, when you've got someone that's not a Christian, when they do something good, they need everyone to see it. I got to put it on display. Hey, everybody catch that. Did Everybody see me. I was being a good person. Here I am being a good person. Blow the trumpet in the market. Let everybody know I'm a really good guy. Did you guys see me? I tipped the weight. Did y'all see me? I put it. I put the tip on there. I was really nice to that guy. I really helped him, right? I donated money to the school. Now take my picture and put it in the newspaper. See that one, more than once. I did all this good stuff. Make sure everybody sees. Oh, that was good. That's how you're going to justify yourself in front of a righteous, holy God? No, you had dead works. No, I, I did these good things. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying you didn't. Okay, but they're dead. They don't justify you. They don't take away your sin. Without the remission of, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Listen, I've got news for you. You have a sin debt. That must be paid. That thin debt carries a price tag with it. The price tag is blood. Your life's blood. I want you to think of it this way. Let's pretend you got a speeding ticket. Anybody here ever got a speeding ticket? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Most people here have. My wife's the only person I know that has not had a speeding ticket. She got pulled over one time. We were in Tupelo. She got pulled over for literally one mile an hour over the speed limit. I've never seen it before in my life. When we were living in Texas, we'd come back up to see our folks, and I was like, it's because there's a Texas plate on the back, isn't it? It's just a warning. Like, oh, well, yeah, I would hope so. Doing a 36 and 35, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Woo! Glad you got me stopped. I was reckless there, man. Yeah. <clears throat> Nonetheless, let's pretend you got a ticket. But let's pretend that this ticket was outrageous. Okay, you go into the court to pay the ticket, and you find out it's ten trillion dollars. You're like, that's that's, that's outrageous. I, I can't pay that. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna pay it, or you're gonna you know you're gonna suffer the punishment, suspend your license, throw you in jail, whatever we got to do. But we're gonna get the money. We're getting the money somehow. I got news for you. That's how justice systems work. God's justice system works the same way. You owe him blood. Your blood. And he's going to get it. The wrath of God is above you and hovering over you and waiting on you. Because you deserve it. Let's say this guy you've never met finds out about your case and unlike anybody else on earth he actually has ten trillion dollars Jeff Bezos does not have 10 trillion okay he's the richest man on earth okay so I, I get that this is a little bit but there's a reason I'm saying that he's the only person on the entire planet that has the money you've never met him but he hears about your case and he takes pity on you and he says I will give up Everything. I'll give up all my wealth and I will pay your ticket. Do you know the justice system does not care who pays your ticket? That's true. I found that out. You can go pay someone else's ticket. They don't care. Do you know that? But they will get the ticket paid. This guy you've never met comes in and pays your ticket because he's the only person that has the ability to do so. Now let's think about that in terms of Christ. It's the exact same way with Jesus Christ. He's the only person that has the ability to pay for your sin because he's the only person that has perfect blood. He's the only one whose life does not scream out for the wrath of God. Instead, he absorbed the wrath on the cross. He took the wrath you deserved and was meant for you justly. He says, I will take the place. I will take Caleb's place. I will pay the sin debt that he owes. Now listen, time out. Think about this. Someone has to pay that debt, and the only thing that can be used as payment is life's blood. I have news for you, friend. Either you will repent You will turn to Christ and say thank you. Or you will decide in your arrogance, no, I'm a good person. I'm too good for that. I'm too good to have my... I'm not that bad that I would need someone to save me. I'm not that bad. I would need someone to pay my debt. Your arrogance will cost you your eternity. That's how much it will cost you. You sure that's the road you want to travel? That's the path you want to tread? I don't need it. I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner. And you deserve the wrath of God. And one of two things is going to happen. Either you will spend eternity paying that debt. Or you will look to Christ. Who paid the debt for you. There are no other options. Every other religion out there posits the wrong mechanism entirely. And that's why, in my mind, I don't think the devil cares. I don't think hell cares what other religion you ascribe to. As long as you ascribe to some form of self-righteousness, you are doomed. There is only one escape. And his name is Jesus Christ. He was worthy. He was sinless. So he could pay your debt. You can't have someone else pay your debt for you. They're a sinner too. Imagine if I am a murderer. I murder poor Noah over here. Right? And then Caleb and Cody are hanging out and do the same thing. And Caleb shoots Cody. Now we're two murderers. Me and Caleb are hanging out. And Caleb's like, man, I feel bad for you. You know what? I'll take your punishment for you. Whoa, what? What's the problem? Hey, dude, you're on death row for your own murder. You can't take my punishment. You've got to take your own. Your parents can't save you. Your brother and sister can't save you. Your dad, who was a deacon, who was a pastor, who was a whatever, can't save you. They have their own sin to reckon with. There's only one who can save you, and it's Jesus Christ. The foundation of the Christian faith is you cannot save yourself by works. Go with me to Galatians. You don't have to go very far. Just backing up a little bit here. All right, turn left uh, in your Bible about, I don't know, 40 pages or so. In your pew Bibles. I think we have some pew Bibles out there, actually. We just don't have a lot. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, four. Here's what it says. It's these two verses we 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 read past and we just we miss the magnanimous We miss how big they are. We miss the impact of what this is saying. Five says this. You have become estranged from Christ if you attempt to be justified by the law. If you attempt to be justified by doing good works, if you attempt to be saved by doing good works, by your good works outweighing your bad, you have become estranged from Christ. You're not even on the right system. You have no hope. You have fallen from grace. Verse 5 says this For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You will not get righteousness by your works, ever. It doesn't matter how many good works you do, you will never attain righteousness by your good works. Your good works are sanctifying They are evidence of the Spirit of God working in your heart They do not save you And that fundamental misunderstanding Leads a lot of people down the wrong path Theologically One person says this It puts it this way Those of you who try to be put right with God By obeying the law Or doing good works Have cut yourselves off from God In actuality You are outside of God's grace. That's a really good way to put it. Well, how can I, how can I, if I cannot be saved by my own good works, how can I be justified? How can I be saved? Sorry, gotta go a long way here. How can I be saved? Ephesians says this. If you want to go there, it's the very next book. Going, going to the right. How can I be saved? Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Let's start at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. How can you be saved? It actually makes me want to sing a song. We've been learning. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even though we were dead in trespasses, we were dead in trespasses. That's why Hebrews calls them dead works. You were doing these good things, quote unquote, good things, trying to save yourself. But you were dead in trespasses. Those are dead works and you have to repent of them. Change your mind. Repent. Metanoia. The Greek word means meta to change. Gnosis, Noia. The mind. The thinking. Change the way you think. You think you can be saved by doing these good things. You must repent. You must change the way you think. God, who is rich in uh, mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. By works? Have you been saved by the good things you did? No, you've been saved by grace. By grace you've been saved. You've been raised up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. He is saving you so that in the future, in all of the ages, throughout all of eternity, he can point to you and say, look how rich in mercy I am. I am willing to give my own life. I am willing to give my life blood. I'm willing to be tortured. I'm willing to be beaten. To be mistreated, to be abused, to be spoken evil against, because I love them. I didn't owe them anything. That's who I am. Listen, the point of God throughout history is to reveal who he is. He's on the stage of a watching world. And he's going to reveal two sides of himself. He's going to reveal how rich in grace and mercy and love and compassion he is. And he's also going to reveal how righteous and rightfully wrathful he is. And I have news for you. You will be a centerpiece in that cosmic stage. Either you will be one that he points out and says, look at how gracious I am. Or you will be one that he points out and says, look how righteous I am. I am in my wrath. I am a just judge. And I let no sin slip. I let no sin go. I require and demand righteous payment for every sin that's ever been committed in all of history. And in your life what that means is either you will pay that blood penalty or Jesus Christ will pay it for you. You will not work your way out of that debt. He goes on to say this. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that was not of yourselves. Did you catch that? You've been saved by faith that did not come from you. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. He gave you, if you're born again, if you're a believer today, you're a believer because you have faith in Christ. And that faith did not come because you were wise, or you made a good decision, or you were so smart, or you accurately weighed out all the information and made the correct decision. No, that faith came because God gave it to you as a gift. Guess how much percentage, how much credit you get for your salvation? Nada. zero. None. God saved you by his grace and by faith in him. And he was the one that gave you the faith to begin with. You get zero credit. You were dead. Here's what it goes on to say. I think this is actually the part that gets left out and is incredible. For we are his workmanship we're the craft, we're the thing that He is molding. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were not created in Christ Jesus by your good works, but for them. Which God prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. He didn't predestine anything. That's that's what that word means, by the way, in case you're scared of it beforehand. Before and, right? We actually had, <laughs> we were in a, uh, a meeting this week. I had to hold my tongue. Because, you know, I have, I want to say theological things a lot. I have to, like, wait. But uh, I like the way our boss put it. He said, look, we're doing everything we can, but in the end, God's in control of this. And I wanted to say, how much control? How, how sovereign is he? In fact He is sovereign That God has died for you Your good works will not save you Only Christ will save you You with me? That is literally the foundation of our faith So why am, why am I telling this to you? Most of you probably have a handle on this Well you very well may have a handle on it But your friend probably doesn't You may not there may still be things of that that boggle you. But I will tell you this. Listen, make no bones about it. We as a nation are going to go through some really hard time. You think it's been hard now? You haven't seen anything. You haven't seen anything. I've been in a nation when their currency collapsed. I was in Zimbabwe in 2007. I saw what it was like when their currency started to be devalued. And trust me, you've seen nothing yet. We are going to go through hard times. And you know what happens? Strangely enough, when people go through hard times, sometimes it takes a little starch out of their pants. Gives them just a little humble pie, and actually, they'll listen where they wouldn't before. Well, everything was going so well, I don't need God. Well, now all of a sudden, everything ain't going so well, is it? We as a people must be prepared to give the gospel. And that means we need to be willing to wrestle with these things that we've been talking about today until we are able to present them to others in a very easy-to-understand manner. I I, I read an article this last week said 52% of all Americans cannot read or write above a fifth-grade level. And trust me, I promise you that's true. Because I know English teachers that make fifth-grade grammatical errors, and it drives me crazy. I shouldn't be, I don't mean to be, I'm a grammar Nazi, I don't want to be, but that's what happens, you get raised in a household like I did. It just comes to you naturally. Why am I saying that? Because I'm saying it this way. We should be able to take the gospel and present it in a very easy to understand manner. That's what we will need to do. Let's be honest, the gospel is that thing. At the same time, it is both... The, the easiest to understand thing I mean, a, a little kid can understand it, and yet at the same time, it is so intricate and so complex that any theologian can jump in and dive as deep as they want to and never touch bottom. True story I 'm 41 years old, I've walked with the Lord for almost 20 years,'ve got a lot of seminary training behind me, and i 'm promising you this: I do not have all the intricacies of the gospel grasped, figured out and landed. I'm still learning about how that works out. I'm still learning of the riches of Christ. I hope this, this is my prayer for you, I hope if you came in here today and you did not understand how to be made right with God or you were under the false impression that you doing good things would make you right with God, that you understand that's not true that you understand there's only one way to be made right with God, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has the ability to pay for your sin debt, and he's the only one that has the willingness to pay. Not only does he have the ability, but he is willing. He was willing to be tortured and to die a brutal, ignominious, shameful death on the cross for you, for your sin, for mine. Let's pray. Father God, I ask... That we would abandon all hope in our own good works. That we would abandon all hope in our own religiosity. That we would abandon all hope in ourselves. And trust in the person and work of Christ alone. That is the place where salvation can be found. And God, I ask that you would do that very thing today, Lord. Give faith to those hearts that are dead and need it. And to those who are... In you, God, I ask you to spark in them, Lord, a new hunger to speak your word, Lord, to tell others about you, to witness with fervor a new boldness, God. I ask you would do that. I thank you for it, Lord, today. It's Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.